0: This morning, as Miss Sue has talked about in hospitality and preparing for and serving others from a a kind or joy-filled, generous heart, um, even more particular, talking about the table is is an interesting experience. Because I don't know about you guys, but around the table, I have had so many things happen. Like, think about... All the different events in your life that have happened around a table, like I was accidentally involved with a um, what I, I like to call the buffet incident of two thousand and fourteen, um, and I sat with a family that i didn 't really know very well, and in the middle of our conversation, they pulled out some gallon sized bags and just started shoveling food from their plates into the gallon-sized bags, and were talking to me like it was normal. So yeah, how's that going for you? Uh, Let's go get some more food. And I was like, what is happening? I'm going to get kicked out of my favorite buffet in the world. (laughs) Um, Around tables, around tables, I've actually, um, when we were in the Philippines, it was around a table that someone decided, because I was one of the Americans in in the room, I should stand up and sing Pretty Woman, because that's what people from the United States do. That was an interesting moment. Um, It's been around tables that I've been around tables when fights have broken out. I've been around a table uh, when heartbreaking news has been delivered. I've been around a table when exciting and fantastic and joy-filled news has been made known. Um, I've been around a table when I learned that my friend and mentor and lead pastor was stepping down and I would be invited to be in this position that I am right now. Table after table after table, experience after experience after experience. You know, it's around a table that, you know, sometimes humility is experienced. Occasionally when you have that person who reaches for their wallet first and they say, I'm paying, and you're like, oh man, okay, fine. Right? You, you've been that person. But then other times you're quicker and you get to the bill and you're like, I'm paying. And so you get to extend grace at a table. You get to experience that, that whole thing in the, in the Christ follower's journey. It's around the table where comfort has been given, shaping has happened, and the table has been a place where I have actually been included into many things. Um, Carolyn Steele, in her book, Hungry City, How Food Shapes Our Lives, says it this way, Few acts are more expressive of companionship than the shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. I don't know if you remember in middle school or high school that awkward moment where you get your, you know, you get your food and you come out and you behold the lunchroom. Like, the, by the way, some of you are groaning. You're like, I hated that moment. Like, but you came out with your, with your plate and your fork and your knife and you were like, oh God, who, who will let me sit with them? I can't sit with them, clearly. I can't sit there. You know, you know that moment, like the table? But it's, when, it's in those moments that I am so thankful in sixth grade, you know, that there were people who were like, hey, come sit over here. I'm thankful in elementary school that most of the time it's assigned seats. Like you actually, you, you don't even have to know who you're sitting next to. You're just like, you sit here. And you're like, we want that, right? We want, we want the structure. We're like, don't, don't let me guess. Just tell me where. But some of the best friendships in the world started around a table, you know, awkwardly around a table. Um, And I, I guess for you guys, you probably have stories. I would assume most of you have stories because the table is a living and active place. It's why we love it. For some of us, it's also why we hate it. The table is a very powerful tool in the kingdom, and I hope this morning that we'll be able to see that together, and we'll be able to point to it, and how Jesus actually laid this framework out for us. I want to play a game with you first, though. Um, complete this following sentence; it will, it will be on the screen. The Son of Man came. Fill in the blank. All right. There's 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 two typical responses, which are absolutely correct. So if you quoted Mark ten forty five, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You'd be correct. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Absolutely correct, if that was what you said. The little known one in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now in context, Jesus is uh, dealing with some very difficult people. He's dealing with people who are are mad about John the Baptist because he didn't eat and drink with anybody. He was this loner, isolated guy who everybody was afraid of or was very respectful of and would not approach him. But then Jesus comes and he's eating and drinking with everyone and everyone's still mad. And Jesus is like, there's no pleasing you people just can't, can't help it. You guys are so fickle. But when we look at why Jesus came, which were the first two, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, and to seek and save those who are lost, purpose, we know why. And this is what I love when Jesus does this. If you have any other ideas as to why Jesus came that aren't in the scripture, just let Jesus tell you why he came. Like, I think There are so many debates and arguments that could be ended if we would just let Jesus speak, and he told us why he came. The third one, Jesus came eating and drinking, would be the how, and this freaked people out. In Tim Chester's book, A Meal with Jesus... He actually goes into a little more depth about that title, Son of Man, and I know for some of you, if you're new to the faith, if you're new to this church experience, Jesus stuff, Son of Man, I don't really understand that. Well, Son of Man was a title in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, which Christ followers would consider a book that speaks prophetically, meaning it points to the future. It gives to these, these, these names and times and places and things will happen And in in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this vision of what he calls the Son of Man. And the Son of Man goes before the Lord. And the Lord says that this Son of Man has all authority over all the nations. I mean, and that's a pretty big deal. Like, if that's you and your position and this is being announced of you, then there are some ideas that come with what the Son of Man would actually do or look like or say or act like or all of these things. And so as a Jewish nation, they're starting to get these ideas of what this Son of Man would actually look like. Did the Son of Man come with a powerful army? Did the Son of Man come with lasers and fire and, and shields and swords and horses? As I told you, Jesus... Love the title, Son of Man. And was how he described himself. And I told you that the first two, Jesus, why he came, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, how he came. Can you see where the confusion might lie if you are a, a good Jewish boy or girl and you know the history in the Old Testament, you would have some grander ideas about how you would think the Son of Man should come the religious people had a very big problem with Jesus' methods. In Luke chapter 5, verse 33, one day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? To the Jewish culture, the idea of the Son of Man seeking and saving those who are lost would not be an option. To the Jewish culture, the Son of Man coming um, would, would, would come with horses and would crush all of God's enemies, and everything would be done, and they would be back in a place that would be awesome, and no longer would they be under the thumb of oppression. But when the Son of Man comes with eating utensils and a coffee mug, this changes the game. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, he was anointed by a questionable woman with perfume at a meal. He fed thousands and thousands. He ate a meal with Martha and Mary. That got awkward. He came and hung out with the Pharisees and was pretty hard on them during the meals. Jesus taught on motives for having parties while at a meal. Jesus had a meal with Zacchaeus, which we'll talk about in just a minute. I mean, for goodness sakes, the last supper, (laughs) right? It's one of the things we look to at all times. It's the most celebrated meal, I would assume, on the earth. And let's not forget about all of the banquets and feasts that are pointed to in the return. And the celebrations that go on in in the parables that Jesus tells that are based around a meal. It's said of in Luke's gospel that Jesus is either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. You know, I hope that you begin to, to, to ask why such a big deal about the table, why such a big deal about eating utensils, why such a big deal with a cup of coffee. In the first century, um, in Middle Eastern culture, it was eating wasn't just about filling a belly, but it was an invitation to friendship, to intimacy, to unity. And in first century... Middle Eastern cultures, it was a no-no to eat with people who were of a different religion, um, a different social standing, different economic standing. It was very separated, and so if you included people who were not a part of your group around the table, it was often looked at and frowned upon and questionable, if you will. Reading about Jesus attending a meal or a party with a tax collector like Matthew, you can't help but see that the religious people would be ticked off. Because for Jesus to sit with people who did not think like the Pharisees, did not act like the Pharisees, did not think like, whoa, hey, you don't do the things that we do, you can see why they'd be upset. And I want to be very clear with you. The Old Testament lays a very clear pattern of meals and celebration. And so, uh, you know, New Testament Jewish people and the Pharisees were not anti-celebration or anti-feast or anti-table because they knew it was a part of God's coming kingdom, What they were anti was who Jesus was inviting to the table. What they were anti was the guest list, if you will, that Jesus was promoting, that Jesus was going after, that Jesus was inviting. That is where their problem lays. Um, Through hospitality and welcome... And, and I hope that you will never look at the table the same. Through hospitality, through welcome in our tables, we are actually reflecting the way of our welcome. And what I mean by that is invitation and inclusion. What Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection is he has invited us into something we did not deserve. He has included us in to something that we actually rejected and didn't want, and that is life with God. The table communicates an invitation and inclusion that is immediately reflective to the nature of the gospel. The gospel has welcomed us in when we did not deserve it. It has called us close when we did not want him. Hospitality and welcome are reflective of the character of our God who loved us first. You know, and many of you know the story of the man who ran ahead of the crowd and climbed the sycamore tree, Zacchaeus. And this is what Jesus says when he meets him. In Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called to him by name. Zacchaeus! Quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Some of you are freaking out at that idea because you didn't run the Roomba. You didn't get things cleaned up. Like, what, we came out with guests. <laughs> we have guests. We have four children. <laughs> do you know what four children do? To our ability to host things and the time we need. But Jesus said, "No, I'm, I'm coming with you to your house." And in verse six, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. I just, in my head, started considering what would it have been like with Jesus and Zacchaeus. Like many of you are probably used to this sound. So, son of God, huh? What's that like? (laughs) Excuse me, I'm thirsty. (sighs) Like, can you imagine the awkwardness that might have happened first at the table? But then as Jesus starts to, according to Scripture, proclaim the kingdom, teaching people about what it would be like, you can begin to see how the conversation would probably have blossomed into much more than awkward clinking of utensils or breaking of bread or drinking. It's an amazing picture because I'm not foolish to think that every time you get around a table that it's going to be life-changing. Like, you know, I mean, sometimes it's not. Like, sometimes it just is what it is. We sit around the table, we ask our questions, and then we move on. But how often do we put ourselves in a place for the extra, for the more, for the kingdom to start taking place, start taking root in our conversations? And just by welcoming someone to the table, inviting someone to the table communicates much more than let's fill our bellies. It actually, it's reflective of the God who's welcomed us to the table in all of our awkwardness. In all of our introvertedness, in all of our over-extrovertedness, he's the one who's invited us to the table. And thankfully, thankfully Jesus didn't care about what the crowds thought, and he offered Zacchaeus this time of communion. And what I mean by communion is not the bread and the juice that we take weekly, but by, by communion I mean a sharing of life. And as we talked about last week with generosity, and generosity can't just be about our things and stuff, because if it is, we've missed the point of the gospel, that God has actually been generous with himself to us. And Paul said when he was with the church in Thessalonica, when he was with them, he said, I didn't just share words with you, but I actually shared my life with you. And so when I'm talking about communion, that's really what's happening, is it's a sharing of life, and it's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't tell us to do something that he did not do. He's actually modeled it, displayed it, and did it perfectly to cover our imperfect attempts. (laughs) That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of hospitality and welcome we see in the gospel. Jesus communed with Zacchaeus, and it could be said that Zacchaeus actually was changed by a meal. I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that Zacchaeus ate his way into the kingdom. (laughs) I know I like food, and so that's a good picture for me. It works. But we see that after this communion, this shared life with Jesus, there is a conversion that takes place. And by conversion, I simply mean one has stepped out of one way of living into a new way of living. Stepping out from under the curse and penalty of sin into the kingdom of His dear Son, which is what Scripture says God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. In Luke chapter 19... Listen to Zacchaeus his response. Meanwhile Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, "I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much." All you need to know is that was more than the legal amount that he was owed to give back. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost and for those of you that that son of Abraham phrasing Jews would like to walk around and say because of their lineage or because of who they what family they were born into they would like to say i am a true son of abraham And what Jesus is saying is that it is by faith. And what Zacchaeus experienced in Christ is that he was now a true son of Abraham. See, Abraham was known for his faith. When God called him out, what did he do? He went. This God who was revealing himself through the Old Testament was not one who was saying, serve me, serve me, serve me. He was saying, trust me. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, the invitation is the exact same. It is to believe the one who has, who has sent him, and that is Jesus is enough, and that Jesus has made a way home. Jesus has opened his arms, bled a death that we deserve to die, not staying dead, but defeating death on our behalf. And that gift is for all who would believe. It's the most inclusive message on the planet. All who would believe. Notice that Zacchaeus simply made declaration statements. He hadn't actually done any of those things. Sometimes I think we forget that. He hadn't done any of that, but Jesus, knowing all man's hearts, was able to say, this man, he understands what it means to be welcome to the table. Welcome in hospitality, Friendly and generous reception and entertaining guests, visitors, or strangers, it matters. Here's why. Because you and I were once strangers. You and I were once far off, but now we have been brought near. In Luke chapter 9, it just gives a very visible picture of Jesus' welcome. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick Even when Jesus was trying to get away from people to be with the disciples, He welcomed them. It wasn't just an abstract forgiveness, after I'm in heaven, welcome. It was, no, Jesus modeled it. At inconvenient times, He welcomed people. Ultimately, we see the proper motivation for welcome in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, be, may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Our welcome to a world that may or may not know what it means to be included points to God being most glorious. And I think sometimes we get so confused believing that somehow we have to do this great grand task that that we have to tweet about or blog about or do all of these things so that the world will think we're busy doing these things, when in reality Paul's saying, welcome people because it glorifies God. Like the simplicity of that, I think, just freaks some of us out. Like, really, just like welcoming. And it's not just about the pastor's welcome on a Sunday or the elder welcoming someone on Sunday. It's about all of us engaged in the welcome of Christ. And I know sometimes Sunday, because we don't see each other, we're like we get fall back into our struggle and our bubble and everything we do. But then the, the truth is, there are people who are stepping into doors that have never been, and it is this moment for them. Like You all have had your, and you know where to sit now, and you know who to sit next to now, and you know who to talk to now, but there are a lot of people who are still doing this in the world. Where do I sit? Who, who's going to sit next to me? Who's going who's to talk to me? And I think sometimes we forget. We forget that this was once us, and somehow we've experienced That welcome. Ephesians chapter 2, and I I just want to read this because I believe it, it paints the ultimate picture for us. Don't forget that you Gentiles, if you're not Jewish in this room, that's you, me, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. It was symbolic of them that they were set apart, But Paul's saying, look, it was was just a body thing. Your heart was far from God, so don't get so caught up on that. In verse 12, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in His own body on the cross He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in Himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Outsiders becoming insiders because of what Christ has done. The welcome we have experienced, we begin to display as we become more and more and more and more and more accustomed to this welcome we have experienced. It just keeps going on. Just keeps going on. Just keeps going on. I can't use. I'm an introvert. Or I don't like people. Or I don't do this or that. I can't use those excuses anymore because I've been welcomed in. As much as we'd like to use the introvert card, which I am very much so, <laughs> I can't, man. Because once you start recognizing the welcome you have experienced, you start to notice this. You start to pay attention to this. You start to see people who are, who are still wondering, man, where is that place that I'm going to belong? Where is that place that I'm going to sit? Where is that place that I'm going to get to... Be included into something I've never been included in my life. Where is that place? And you begin to be a connector. You begin to be one who who sees that and says, man, I've been welcomed in. I'm going to go looking. I'm going to go initiating. I'm going to go inviting. I'm going to go find that place to make that happen. Sue talked about it, and Grammy Doris continues to reflect this statement of if I can just get their feet under my table. Some of you have experienced feet under Grammy's table. Grammy knows that the way to a person's heart is through their stomach, and I'm all for that. I'm all for someone saying, hey, you could use a meal. Yeah, I could. <laughs> I can always use a meal. But it's reflective of the invitation of the good news that Jesus has said, "You are welcome to this family. you are welcome to this table, and it is not by you tipping the scales by your good behavior or your lack thereof. It is all grace. It is the invitation of rescue. Gathering, inclusion, generosity, grace. Jeez, Jason, why such a big deal about a table? We should be talking about the deep things of God. We should be talking about the the big truths that keep us as people. What if this is? And I'll tell you why we talk about this. I mean, granted, it is a taller round table. The reason we talk about the table is because this table has become more the norm. The TV tray. Right? Right? Don't get me wrong. Friday nights is pizza movie night. We eat in front of our television on Friday nights. But see, in a world that is continually lonely, continually excluded, the radical socialization of Christ followers goes to war against loneliness. It goes to war against the the exclusion. And it's not this idea that you better believe what I believe to come around my table. It's no, you come around my table. Why don't we go get coffee? Why don't we go get a meal? We talk about that all the time here because we know that the norm is this. It's becoming more and more this. Several years ago, we were driving through downtown Asheville, and I'll never forget it. Zeke looked over at me, probably as a six-year-old, and said, Dad, I'm going to open a restaurant. I was like, cool. He said, it's going to have one table and one chair in it, so people can be alone with their phones. (laughs) Why the big deal with the table is because the world has a norm. But the kingdom has a different norm. You know, we, in our jail groups, we've been beginning to try and figure out how to make this a part of what we talk about in our small groups. And I'm going to show you on the screen five things that we've been mentioning this series. I know some of you will probably want, give me practicals, let me know what to do or how to do it. And these are suggestions And just like every other thing in life, human beings can make checklists out of things, but I do believe there are things and stuff that if I'm not intentional, it will not happen. You know, as a missionary, when a missionary goes overseas to another place, they bring a list of things to do, not as a checklist or legalism, but they go with a plan. And if you don't have a plan, I guarantee you, you're not going to do anything. It's what we do. It's human nature. I'll just let it happen if it happens. go where the wind blows. Well, chances are that I'll just blow you right into selfishness. (laughs) But if we're intentional about being a blessing to people, how can we give of ourselves, not just our stuff? Eating with people, eating and drinking with people in the church, eating and drinking with people out of the church, considering the mission that we're on listening to the Holy Spirit. We talked about Spirit-led and being able to hear His voice in a world where there are tons, being still enough together to learn how to listen to the voice of God, learning of Christ, Christ Christ-likeness. The idea is the more you sit and learn of Jesus, the more you actually become like Him. Strange how it works. And the idea of seeing yourself as sent We have these sheets for you on the back table on the way out. And in our small groups, these are conversation topics. We may not talk about all of them every week, but the idea is we are in a position where we need people helping us remembering who we are. Not what we do. This is who we are. You know, and on the back, we've got some examples of things, but... This is where listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to direct and Him to guide and Him to encourage and Him to give you ideas and ears to hear the needs around you. You know, these these aren't designed to be a checklist that you're checking off at the end of the day, but they are intentional ways that you can engage in the mission of Christ where you are. I've said it a million times, but the nonprofit 501c3 organization of Highland Christian Church will not change the world. It's the people who are made make that group up that will change anything. And when we understand our sentness, that my questionable life really isn't about me, but Christ's life lived through me, and that I'm a part of that, and I long to see people know that they are welcome to the table through what Christ has done. That's the game changer. And so as the band comes and we close this morning, because the welcome of God, the hospitality of God, is unlike anything the world has to offer, we continue to live as people of questionable lives. In Isaiah chapter 55, this is a very famous passage, uh, but the, the more so the last two verses. But this is God's announcement to the nation of Israel, to the people, that he is invited to return home. He says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples? I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know. The peoples unknown to you will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. My thoughts. Here we go. My thoughts. Nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We like to chalk this verse up to things that we don't understand in life, and I understand that. But first and foremost, the Lord's way of salvation is unlike anything the world has ever seen. Radical socialization, hospitality, welcome, whatever you want to call it, is reflective of the radical nature of the gospel. And my hope is that you will never see a table, a cup of coffee, a fork, a knife, a plate the same way again. Because I, I, I do like to think that I, want, I do wonder if Jesus ever sat and watched his dad make a table. And then I wonder if Jesus took it just as seriously, too. Like, I wonder if Jesus sat and looked at the tables that would be lower to the ground. But if he looked at the table and as he watched his earthly father form this tool that would be used in the kingdom, I wonder if he thought about how he would actually reveal people's heavenly father to them around the table maybe that he built. You know, I wonder if Jesus took building the physical tables with his hands as seriously as he did as touching someone with his hands at a table, healing them. It's amazing to me how the simple things like this really do express the kingdom of God. After all, Jesus came eating and drinking. Do you know the story? Do you know the welcome of the gospel? Because it was displayed in Christ, not by what you can do or earn or haven't done or have failed at, but it's through faith that he has made a way home. This generous God has revealed himself to us. And he said, believe me. And he said, welcome home. If you're at a place this morning where you just love somebody to pray for you we do it every Sunday there'll be some folks standing over there I'll be standing over here but however the Lord may be calling you to respond I would say don't put it off don't put it on the corners of your life but make it a front-burning issue to journey with people to know the welcome of Christ so that you actually have a place to put your place to put your plate at a table Father, thank you for loving us, and I just ask that somehow you would make known your plans for us, and we know that Jesus is the plan. We know that Jesus is the mysterious plan, and may we be people who live that, who know that, may we say ourselves as sent, Lord, looking to bless looking to eat with, looking to listen, looking to learn of Christ. All because you came after us first. It's in your name we pray.